Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. I hope you all are having a great week so far. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast. We post weekly here every single Wednesday, and you're not going to want to miss it. I also want to remind you guys that we do have an Instagram page for this podcast. It is just at Killer Instinct Podcast, where you can go and get all the latest updates. I'm running a lot of different polls on there. I talk about different case suggestions, theories, all things like that on that Instagram page. So make sure you go give that to follow as well. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the solved case of Lindsay Eklund. Now, this is a case that I had never heard of before. It was actually suggested by a Killer Instinct listener, and it is a case that is full of a lot of twists and turns. It's a case that honestly will leave you confused throughout a lot of it because you think you know what happened, and then you really don't. So it's one of those cases today. So without giving any more away, let's jump right on into it. Lindsay Eklund was born on July 22nd in the year 1980. So her birthday actually just passed not too long ago, and she would have been turning 41 years old. She was born to her mother, Nancy Eklund, and was the youngest of three. She had two older brothers, and Nancy describes Lindsay as having a passion for animals. She was overall a very, very compassionate person, but animals really just won over Lindsay's heart, and she spent a lot of time volunteering at local animal shelters. Lindsay is someone that just always wanted to help other people. She would even lie about her age. That way she would be able to donate blood. There is a certain age requirement to donating blood and Lindsay would lie and say that she was a certain age. That way she would be able to donate. She was always the type of person that was looking out to see what she could do to make someone else's day better and to make someone else's life a little bit easier. Now, something to know about Lindsay is that when she was younger, she was unfortunately involved in a pretty bad car accident, and this car accident ended up resulting in her having a paralyzed left arm as well as her right leg being severely impaired. Now, because of these disabilities that she had, it made her life a little bit more complex and complicated than the average person. However, Lindsay did not let her injuries stop her. Now, after the car accident, Lindsay's mother, Nancy, really stepped into the role of Lindsay's caregiver to give her that extra attention that she needed and to really be there for Lindsay in any way that she could. Nancy describes Lindsay as her purpose in life. That is how she describes her daughter. And by the time Lindsay was in middle school, her father and her two older brothers ended up leaving the family. So it really just left Lindsay and Nancy together. And because of this, they grew an even stronger, even more inseparable bond than they had before. You can just tell by looking at pictures of Lindsay that she is the kindest, most caring, and compassionate person. But similar 
to how most teenagers are, once you reach a certain age, you want a sense of independence and you want to kind of grow into your own identity. You're experimenting with different things. You're pushing the boundaries a little bit. You're rebelling just to kind of figure out your own identity. And that definitely was something that Lindsay was also doing. A perfect example of this is that when Lindsay was born, her name was spelt the traditional way, which is L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. However, once she reached her teenage years, she decided that she wanted to change the way that her name was spelt. She wanted it to be a little bit more different and unique. So she ended up changing it to be spelled L-Y-N-S-I-E. Now, along with changing the spelling of her name, Lindsay was also rebelling a little bit. She definitely had a little bit of a secret life that she hid from a lot of people, more specifically that she hid from her mother. From interviews and articles that I've read, I can tell that Lindsay wanted to remain in this perfect image for her mother. She wanted to be the perfect daughter. She never wanted her mother to worry about her. She never wanted her mother to think that her disability was going to stop her. So because of this, she did hide some certain things from her mother, and you will see that as we continue on. Now, after graduating from high school, Lindsay went on to attend Fullerton College, which is located in Fullerton, California. However, she still remained living at home with Nancy during this time. Lindsay basically lived in Southern California her entire life, so she wanted to stay close to home and close to her mother. Now again, Nancy said that Lindsay and her were each other's best friends and confidants, and there was never a time that Nancy knew Lindsay to have lied to her. However, this all changed on February 16th, 2001. Now Nancy and Lindsay typically had a tradition of every Friday night they would sit down and have dinner together. However, on this particular Friday the 16th, Lindsay told her mom Nancy that she was not going to be having dinner with her mom like usual. Instead, she was going to be going to her friend Andrea's house and to spend the night there. Now, Andrea was not someone that Nancy was familiar with. She had never met Andrea before. However, she trusted Lindsay and decided that it would be okay for her to go. And mind you, Lindsay is 20 years old at this point, so she is allowed to go out and spend the night with her friend if she wants to. Now, when it came time for Lindsay to leave for Andrea's house, Nancy received a knock on her door and thought it was Andrea coming to pick Lindsay up. However, she was very surprised when she opened the door and saw a young man standing there. This young man's name is Chris McCamus, and Lindsay introduced Chris to her mom and told her that Chris was going to drive her to Andrea's house. And according to Nancy, she said that Chris seemed like a nice young man and he was respectful and had manners, but Nancy just couldn't shake the fact that something didn't feel right here. It didn't make a lot of sense as to why Chris would come pick Lindsay up just to drop her off at Andrea's house. However, again, Nancy didn't have any reason to not trust Lindsay, so she didn't really question it. Nancy said that the last thing that she told Lindsay as she walked off with Chris was to not forget to wear her seatbelt, and that is when Lindsay turned around, looked at her mother, and said, back at ya, love you mom and walked away. And neither of them knew at that point that that would be the last thing that they would ever say to each other. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? 
Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now, the plan for the following day on the 17th was that Lindsay was supposed to go to her tutoring job. She tutored two young girls in the local neighborhood, and Lindsay told her mom that after her tutoring job, she would call Nancy just to check in and to let her know that everything was okay. However, after the time of the tutoring job came and passed, and Lindsay still didn't get in contact with her mother, Nancy decided to take matters into her own hands. So that is when she drove over to to the girl's house that Lindsay tutored and asked them if Lindsay had been there. And that is when Nancy learned that Lindsay never showed up for her tutoring job that day. And that is extremely out of character. Nancy knew that Lindsay would never just bail on her job like that and bail on her priorities if something bad did not happen. And this is when the panic really set in for Nancy because she had no way of getting in contact with Lindsay at all. Now, without wasting any time, this is when Nancy decided to reach out to the Placentia Police Department to file a missing persons report for her daughter. Now, at first, detectives thought that it was very likely that Lindsay just had a wild night out with some friends and was sleeping off a hangover and she would come back, she would reach out to her mother, and everything was going to be fine. However, again, Nancy knew that this was not the case for her daughter. Now, Nancy wanted to make sure that this case was at the top of the Placentia Police Department's priority list. So she drove over to the department herself, and that is when she spoke to a detective named Corinne Loomis. And she sat down with Corinne and basically told her all about Lindsay, all about her personality, how unlike all of this was for someone like Lindsay. And according to Corinne, this is not an abnormal thing that families who go through this type of situation do. Corinne said that a lot of families will try and paint their loved one in this perfect picture, regardless if that's the case or not, because they want the detectives to have as much sympathy for that person as possible, and because they want them to have a soft spot for that person and, and think that if they do, then that's going to really motivate them to work harder on the case. And that is what Corinne said she thought Nancy was doing at that time. Now, one of the first things authorities did in this case was they wanted to talk to Lindsay's boy. Boyfriend. Yes, Lindsay did have a boyfriend, and his name was Matthew Ramirez. Now, according to Matthew, the day before Lindsay went missing, which was on Thursday, he went over to Lindsay's house, and that's when Lindsay told him that she wanted to break up with him. Now, this breakup did not last long because literally that same night, the two of them ended up getting back together, and that is when Lindsay told Matthew that that weekend, which was the next day, she was going to be going to San Diego go with quote-unquote Chris and everybody. Now, Matthew was a little shocked that Lindsay was going to be going to San Diego, but he didn't push any buttons about it, and he just told her to have fun, but to also be safe. Now, the next step here was to bring Chris McCamus in for an interview. 
Chris McAmis was a 21-year-old unemployed young man, and him and Lindsay had met through mutual friends about four months prior to her disappearance. Now, when speaking to detectives, Chris told them that the whole story of him picking up Lindsay to take her to Andrea's house was a lie that Lindsay had made up herself in order to not let her mom know what the actual plan was, which was that Chris was picking up Lindsay and then they were going to pick up a couple more friends of theirs and drive down to San Diego to go clubbing for the entire night. Chris said that this clubbing plan did not go as planned because not all of them were over the age of 21 and they couldn't get into the clubs that they wanted to, so they decided to drive all the way back to Fullerton that night and got back into town around 4 a.m. This is when Chris said that he first dropped the other girls off that were with their group back at their house before driving Lindsay back to hers. Now, when driving Lindsay back to her house, Chris said that Lindsay asked Chris to drop her off about 50 yards away from her house on the street corner. That way, Lindsay's mom would not hear Chris's truck pulling up into the driveway. Chris said he didn't really think much of this request and he let Lindsay get out of the car on the street corner like she wanted to. And after that, he turned around and drove back home. Now, at first, authorities did not believe this whole street corner theory and thought that it was very, very odd. However, after speaking to some of Lindsay's other friends, police learned that this was something that she had asked her friends to do multiple times before. She never really wanted her mom to see her driving up with her friends or to see her with her friends if she was getting home late. So she would often ask to get dropped off at the street corner. Now, something that police also found to help strengthen Chris's story was they actually found surveillance footage. This video surveillance footage came from an ATM and it showed Chris's truck driving in the direction of his house around the same time that he would have been if he had dropped Lindsay off at her house, which really proved to police that even though Chris Chris's story did seem a little weird with the whole dropping her off at the street corner. Everything that he was saying was adding up, so they started to believe him a little more. Now, this is when a new man comes into the picture for police. After speaking to both Matthew and Chris, both of them had mentioned that Lindsay had a friend, and this friend was an older man that she only referred to as my friend, and this friend of hers would drive her around and give her rides whenever she needed needed it. And that was all anyone really knew about him. That and the fact that he was a considerably older man. And this was also something that Nancy was not aware of. Nancy had no idea who this man was, and she only became aware of him because a couple days after Lindsay's disappearance, this man had called Nancy on their house phone and asked where Lindsay was because she hadn't been meeting him for their usual drop-off and pick-up setup times. Now, this older man is named Marty Rossler, and Nancy had no idea what Marty was talking about or who Marty even was when he called their house. And when police looked into Marty, they learned a few interesting things. First of all, Marty was 58 years old and Lindsay was 20 years old. And secondly, Marty Rossler's real name was not even Marty Rossler. It was actually Marty Preganzer. Now, despite what you might be thinking, Marty did not change his name because he had a criminal background that he was trying to hide. Marty actually changed his name because he did not want to tell his wife 
who Lindsay was, and he did not want Lindsay to find out that he had a wife. Now, after speaking to authorities, Marty swore up and down that his relationship with Lindsay was strictly platonic, and he just wanted to be in her life to help her out and make her life easier. For reference, Marty also has two children as well and claimed that he would never, ever engage in anything romantic like that whatsoever. Now, when police brought Marty in for questioning, Marty claimed that the last time he saw Lindsay was on the day of her disappearance on February 16th. However, he said he had no involvement in her drive down to San Diego and didn't even know she was going there. Now, Marty not having any involvement in San Diego was hard for police to believe because there was actually a tip that came in from a clothing store that Marty frequently visited when he would travel down to San Diego himself. Now, this tip from the employee stated that they thought that they saw Lindsay with a considerably older man walking through their store. And at first, police thought that this was exactly what they needed to pin Marty for this case. So because of this, authorities were really, really digging in on him. But Marty was continuously resilient on the fact that he had absolutely nothing to do with this. Police also searched through Marty's home and all of his electronics and found nothing that could possibly link him to Lindsay's disappearance. And that is when they decided that they needed to broaden their suspect pool a little bit. And that is when authorities took the surprising route in this case and changed course to look at Lindsay's mother, Nancy. Now, Nancy really felt out of the loop this entire investigation and felt like police were really keeping her in the dark about what was going on. She didn't feel like Lindsay's case was the top priority for them. So when she did get a call from police telling her that they were going to come by and kind of refresh her on the case, she was absolutely ecstatic. And she thought that maybe they had made progress in the case. And she said that she made them cookies and coffee. But by the time authorities got there, Nancy quickly learned that they were not there to update her on the case. Instead, they were there to look at her as a suspect. They arrived to Nancy's home with a search warrant and shovels as well as cadaver dogs and an entire search team. And Nancy said that before all of this even happened, she had no idea what a search warrant even was. And she was highly offended that authorities would ever ever think that she could possibly have anything to do with this. However, on the authority standpoint, they didn't know where else to look. They looked at Marty, they looked at Chris, they looked at Matthew, and they needed to mark off Nancy as well. And that is why they did. After searching through Nancy's home and figuring out that there was nothing there, authorities quickly scratched her name off the possible suspect list as well. Now, for the following year after Lindsay's disappearance, this case really did go cold for a while. Authorities did not know where else to turn. They looked at Marty, they looked at Chris, they looked at Matthew. They did consider the possibility of this being a random abduction. However, there really was nothing that was pointing to that that being what actually happened. So the following year in 2002, authorities basically decided to start over and they brought Chris McAmis in again for a second interview. Now, the reason they brought Chris in again in particular was because he was the last known person to see Lindsay the night that she went missing. And along with that, they wanted to see if his story would still remain the same a year later. 
Now, at first, Chris told detectives that his wish in all of this is that Lindsay is alive somewhere with some friends and had simply just ran away from home. Now, authorities thought that Chris's demeanor seemed extremely strange when talking about Lindsay. They thought that he was way too cool, calm, and collected to be talking about one of his friends who was in potential danger. Now, during this interview, police also asked Chris what he believed should happen to the person responsible if Lindsay had been hurt. And Chris just said that whoever is responsible for this should go to jail, quote unquote, for a while. And this really rubbed authorities the wrong way because Chris wasn't sitting there saying, you know, whoever did this should be in prison for the rest of their life. They should get the electric chair, gas chamber. They should go to hell. He wasn't saying any of that. All he said was whoever did this should go to jail for a while. Now, fast forward six years later, and now we're in 2008, and police still really were not making any progress on this case. Nancy was incredibly frustrated with all the time that had passed, and police decided that it was time to turn this case over to the Orange County DA's office, where this case would be examined by a detective named Larry Montgomery. Now, Larry has been named by other police and detectives as the evidence whisperer. They say that he picks up on things that a lot of cops don't, and he really gets into the details of the case. Larry worked at the cold case unit for the Orange County DA's office, and Larry is known for being meticulously slow when going through the details of a case, and he did just that with Lindsay's. He actually studied Lindsay's case for two whole years, going through every single detail in her case file all over again. Now, when Larry looked at Marty and the possibility of Marty being a suspect, Larry noticed a couple different things. Firstly, he thought it was interesting that Marty would give a false name to protect his marriage. To Larry, it showed that Marty did actually have some sort of empathetic bone in his body, that he did care about his family and his marriage, and he wouldn't be willing to put them in jeopardy for Lindsay's life. Now, when it came to the possible sighting of Marty and Lindsay in that store in San Diego, Larry learned very quickly that that was all just word of mouth and there was no surveillance footage that ever showed Marty and Lindsay being in that store together. So there's no concrete evidence that showed that to be real. Along with that, Marty also attended multiple search parties to help look for Lindsay, and he even reached out to Nancy himself to see if Lindsay was okay when she first went missing. And even though we have seen in the past suspects and people that are responsible for committing the crimes to put themselves in the middle of the investigation and to put themselves in the case, Larry truthfully believed that Marty was acting as an innocent man who was doing the things that anyone would do to help look for Lindsay. So now Larry turned his attention to Chris McAmis. Now, what really steered police's attention away from Chris was that surveillance footage from the ATM that showed his truck driving towards his house around the time that he said that he dropped Lindsay off. However, when Larry looked into the surveillance footage more, he figured out that the truck in the surveillance footage, which was a white truck, and Chris did drive a white truck. However, the truck in the footage specifically had black side mirrors on the car. And when looking at a picture of Chris's car, Larry quickly noticed that Chris did not have black side mirrors on his car. His side mirrors were white. And this basically proved that the car that was driving past on that surveillance footage 
was not Chris's car. So the only piece of evidence that was really holding together Chris's story no longer was standing up. Larry then decided to look into Chris's dating history, and he talked to two of Chris's ex-girlfriends, and this is when he learned that Chris did have a little bit of a violent streak. His ex-girlfriends described it as he would get violent when he felt rejected, and Chris actually referred to rejection as him being disrespected. And when he felt disrespected, his ex-girlfriend said that he would lash out extremely violently. One of his ex-girlfriends specifically remembers a time where Chris took a hammer and crushed his pet hermit crab with this hammer right in front of her because he believed that one of the hermit crabs had eaten his fish that was also in the tank. Now, Larry also looked into Chris's alibi for the day after Lindsay went missing on February 17th, and Chris initially told police that he stayed close to his house that day. However, Larry looked into Chris's credit card statements, and this showed that Chris had made a transaction in Santa Clarita California on the 17th of February, which is about 50 miles north of where Chris lived. So at some point on the 17th, he was nowhere near his house and just decided to not tell police about that. Now, the significance of Santa Clarita was the fact that Chris's father actually had a construction company at that time. And in the year 2000 and 2001, the construction company was working on a site in Santa Clarita. This made Larry wonder if Chris was working for his father, so Larry ended up driving up to the site himself and asking around to some of the employees, and that is when Larry learned that Chris was in fact working for his father and would work on the construction site as well. He learned that Chris worked as a tractor driver and he was there on a very consistent basis. Now, in October 2010, Larry and the rest of the detectives decided to carry out an undercover operation. And the main purpose for this was to see Chris's reaction. They wanted to see how Chris was going to react. So what they did is they got a motorcycle cop who worked one town over from Chris, and they specifically chose a woman who could pass off as a college student. So they got a woman, it was an officer named Spring, and they dressed her up as a college student student and they sent her to Chris's front door and they sent her there pretending to be a reporter. And when she got to Chris's house, she told Chris that she was a reporter for Fullerton College and told him that Lindsay's remains had been recovered and it was her job to go around to all of Lindsay's family and friends and get their initial reaction. Now, Lindsay's remains at this point had not been recovered yet. However, again, the reason detectives were doing this was because they wanted to see what Chris's reaction would be to finding out that Lindsay had been found. And according to Spring, she said that when she told Chris that Lindsay's remains had been found, he went as white as a ghost and his demeanor completely changed. He quickly got very short with Spring and told her that he couldn't talk about anything right now and that this wasn't a good time and shut the door in her face. The following two days, police basically kept surveillance on Chris. They stayed right outside of his house. They followed him wherever he went. And Chris very quickly figured 
figured out that he was being followed. So instead of continuing to follow Chris around, police decided it was time to bring him in again for another interview. Now this time, Chris's interview was with two detectives and one of these detectives was Larry. Now Larry spent 45 minutes basically telling Chris all of the reasons that his story did not add up. He told him that they knew that the truck on the surveillance footage was not his. They told him about the credit card statements. They told him about Santa Clarita and the fact that they knew he had worked for his father. They told him everything. And they did this hoping that Chris would crack and finally confess to what he did. All signs really were pointing to Chris being the one responsible for this. And Larry actually did something very smart in this interview. He kind of snuck in the question asking Chris if Lindsay's death was premeditated. And that is when Chris let out a sigh and said, no. And that basically was a smoking gun to the beginning of Chris's confession. Police had him saying that Lindsay's death was not premeditated. Larry and his detective partner really started to try and play the sympathy card with Chris at this point. They told Chris that there had to be some reason that this happened. Lindsay had to have done something to Chris to make him so mad that obviously if they knew the reason that maybe they could help Chris out a little bit. And because the detectives were playing to Chris's ego, this is when he started to talk. Chris said that on the night that Lindsay went missing, he was planning on taking her home to her house. However, she suggested that the two of them spend the night at Chris's apartment instead because Lindsay did not want to wake up her mom. Now, Chris didn't really question it and drove the two of them back to his apartment together. And Chris said that while they were at his apartment, he did attempt to kiss Lindsay. However, she rejected him. After the initial rejection, Chris said he then went into his kitchen and downed a lot of vodka before then going back into his room and attempting to kiss Lindsay again. However, this time he said that she was pretending to be sleeping. And for whatever reason, Chris decided it would be a good idea to undo Lindsay's pants and pull them off of her. However, this is when Lindsay shot straight up and yelled at Chris and asked him what he was doing and told him that she was going to call the authorities. Now, this made Chris see red and he beelined towards Lindsay and she picked up his house phone and attempted to hit him in the face with it to knock him out. However, the swing was not strong enough to knock him out. Chris said being hit in the face with the home phone set him on fire, and that is when he grabbed Lindsay and threw her on his bed and put her into a headlock that automatically killed her. After Chris suffocated Lindsay, he then put her body in his car and drove her up to the Santa Clarita construction site. And he actually held on to Lindsay's body for several days. I'm not sure what the purpose of that was, but he held on to her body for several days before digging a hole and placing her body into the hole. Now, after Chris had initially confessed, Larry and the other detective had walked out of the room and a new detective had walked in. And this is when Chris told the new detective, quote, 
unbelievable. It's been so long. It feels better when you finally just say what you're supposed to say, you know? I know my life is ruined now. Do you know if I'm going to get the death penalty for this? End quote. Still in this moment, Chris's only concern was himself and if he was going to get the death penalty. Now, not long after his confession, Chris, Larry, and other detectives returned to the construction site and Chris showed detectives where exactly he placed Lindsay's body. And it took over a day for a search team to recover her remains. They recovered her shoe, her jacket, as well as her bracelet. Now, two years after his confession, Chris pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 15 years to life at the Los Angeles County Jail. At his sentencing, Nancy made a statement and said, quote, For all of those years, he had the luxury of having a normal, happy life. And for all those years, I looked for Lindsay every single day. When I found out he killed her, he took my heart. She only had use of one of her arms and one of her hands. It was impossible for her to fight him off. She didn't stand a chance. End quote. Now, I feel absolutely horribly for Lindsay's mother, Nancy. Her entire life was her daughter. And that statement that she gave at the sentencing is just heartbreaking. And hearing throughout the entirety of the case how Nancy made authorities cookies and coffee and was just trying to find her daughter this entire time when in reality her daughter was never coming home is just gut-wrenching. And that, you guys, is the case of Lindsay Eklund. That, you guys, is the case of Lindsay Eklund. I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about this one. This case makes me so upset and is so gut-wrenching for so many different reasons. Lindsay never stood a chance against Chris, and Chris completely took advantage of the situation. And I'm not even completely sure that I fully believe Chris's story. I think that there could be some details that he's leaving out we don't even know if it's true that Lindsay wanted to go back to Chris's apartment. That could have totally been Chris's idea. But with that being said, you guys, that is all from me today. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe.